And now on the BBC, 14 words. week is going to be a continuation of sorts from last week's show which was um about the it started off on the second summer of love and what was leading on to is the ecstasy connection so this is the connecting show between this one and the third part between the first one and the third part which is going to be on the uh essex boys and uh so there's like a sort of connecting lines between them all um so i've left the smiley face up for the um for the shot because that's uh relevant still that's uh, so it's me being autistic i want to try and change the the image every time we do a show um so we've got a transcendent son again with us and and hemingford hello hello um hello. can you hear me yeah loud yeah we can hear you fine quiet and clear Hello. Is that better? Just well, no, I just meant better, rather than loud and clear. With, with you, we say quiet and clear. Rather than me cooking everybody like I did in the previous show. <laughs> yeah. No, yours sounds good now. Yeah, you sound really, it sounds really natural. Yeah. I think before it just sounded really driven and really sort of mm. like, even if he was trying to talk quietly, it was like still loud. So anyway, um, I think uh, Hobbit's going to join it's us at some point. to all you truckers out. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... Yeah, uh, so ecstasy, how did it tie into last week's story? Obviously, last week's story was about the second summer of love. And with the, as with the first summer of love, first summer of love had um, had uh, acid or LSD as its main drug that they used to, to control the minds of the young people that were, that were um, into the scene. And with the second summer of love, they decided to use ecstasy. So um, how did ecstasy come about and, uh, and where did it come from and where is it going and, um, and uh, who's in charge of ecstasy and all this sort of stuff? Because, because one, of the, one of the things that, um, that uh, is suspicious about the second summer of love and as well as the first summer of love, with the first summer of love, we know that the massive amounts of LSD that were being produced were being produced by laboratories associated with the CIA. And so the CIA were actually dropping acid onto people. And, and a lot of the advocates of acid were CIA operatives, people like Timothy Leary. And some of those people pop up again in the second summer of love. So Timothy Leary becomes a bit of a cult figure again in the second summer of love. Mm. And, um, and you and also get... Yeah, and, and Terence McKenna exactly, and and you also get um, like copious amounts of of ecstasy being brought into clubs all around the UK, and uh, you know it's sort of how 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 you get these things to go hand in hand. It's 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 quite strange that 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 you get this scene builds up, and then suddenly there's a new drug that hits the streets at exactly the same time as that scene. So the thing, the thing that I found quite weird is they were pills and not powder. It's like powder, like you chop stuff up. It's still very fucking, um, it could be done anywhere. Chopping up cocaine, can't it? Mm. It's just like making pills involves a fact of like that. It was something, it, it, it was a circle. I could never quite square in my own head. Mm. Yeah. What, why, why it wasn't just powder. Yeah, well, well it, it, it's not the sort of thing. It, making pills is not the sort of thing you can do in the bathroom or you know on a ki on a kitchen on a kitchen worktop or something like that, is it? Yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah, yeah, and and, there's, and some of the processes involved in in actually making MDMA, you know, ecstasy, MDMA, are actually quite dangerous because there there has there has been sort of explosions in people's houses while they're trying to you know it's not it's not an easy thing to do it's actually like a chemical process that you've got to sort of have a you know a bunsen burner and a couple of bloody test tubes and 
and some bubbly things with flames underneath them and liquid bubbling away and being um you know evaporated and whatever that process is called what's it called when they when you steam things and you take the essence of it and all that sort of thing oh can we Condensation. Distillation. That's the, Distillation that's the word I'm thinking. Alchemy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what they used to call oh, it. Can I, can I, have, can I have a go at saying this? Yeah. Ecstasy is a synthetic drug with methylene dioxymethyl. Methamphetamine. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> methylene <laughs> dioxymethamphetamine. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, as its act, active psycho psychotropic ingredient. MDMA was first used and synthesized in 1889. In 1912, the German company Merck applied for a patent on the drug. Merck was considering putting it on the market as an appetite suppressant, <laughs> but there was insufficient demand for it. At the beginning of the Cold War, the US Army became interested in MDMA's potential for use as a truth serum, for a, a use which it turned, turned, later turned out to be un, unsuitable. That's interesting, uh, in because early... I heard it was used to say... Um... Uh, to staunch wounds, something hemostatic, yeah, something to do with blood staunching. Right. Well, this is um, this is this is actually a pretty um, well researched piece. It's not like uh, we're not actually using Wikipedia for once. I found a really good source. Um, so, in the early seventies, some members of the U.S. psychiatric community—it's that country again, isn't it? The U.S. Um, <laughs> Made made use of MDMA. Dr. Alexander Shulgin, famous author of Pycal, uh, heard from the young chemistry student Mary Kleinman that <laughs> Kleinman uh, that MDMA had interesting psychoactive effects. After performing a, a number of experiments on himself, he introduced psychotherapist Leo Zeff to the drug's effects. Zeff was so taken with the effects of MDMA that he postponed his retirement to travel around the US promoting its therapeutic use to colleagues. Uh, MDA was first used recreationally in the 1980s and pills containing MDMA were given the, same, given the name ecstasy because of a euphoria they caused. By 1984, MDMA was widely used as a recreational drug. Uh, in 1985, MDMA was outlawed in the US and played on... Play, uh, and placed on Schedule One of the Controlled Substances Act. As as a result, the drug went underground and prices skyrocketed. So, do we want to talk? Do you want me to do the next part? Um, well, we can we can go a little bit into some said. of that. I suppose we've got the um, the uh, one of the compounds that um, that that goes into um, MDMA is a um, uh, saffron. Which is um, from sassafras. Yeah, the sassas, sassafras mm. plant. Yeah, which um, is, which is also highly expensive. Is is that the one that's expensive? Saffron. Is that the one that's saffron. more expensive than gold? No, well, it's, it's a saffron. Yeah, yeah. But it must be connected with a root root word essay. Uh, sassafras is uh, the one of the ingredients in the root beer, like um, Coca Cola had and, um, and sarsaparilla. That's, no, that's 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 yeah, sarsaparilla. Or is sarsaparilla yeah, a drink? But but uh, so does root beer does contain uh, yeah, sarsaparilla? Yeah. Or sassafras. Yeah, sassafras. So so um, and in in the plants in the in actual sassafras uh, the saffron sorry is um, an antifeedant in the plants where it functions as a, a thing that oh prevents God. it prevents insects and, and stuff like that from eating the plant. So it's actually a sort of toxin. But they use this toxin um to basically is some sort of precursor of some sort of synthesis that ends up in mdma um yeah um and then we've got so it's so it's uh so it's actually some kind of toxin and it's in its root it's got toxins in it and um mm. and uh and also going back to shulgin alexander shulgin so did you have something to say about that hobbit Yes, I want to say Alexander Shulkin is the man primarily responsible for rediscovering um, ecstasy or methylene dioxymethamphetamine. He's written two books called Fecal and Tecal, where he talks about uh, phenylalanines as well as tryptamines. And I'm sorry if I've got those uh, names wrong. Phenylalanines. <clears throat> yeah, and in it, he was, he was talking about um, MDMA 
and saying he imagined it would be like uh, a similar substance, methylene dioxyamphetamine, but because it's got the methamphetamine part, it's said to be more potent. But there is significant difference in in uh, action and, and experience with the two with the two drugs because there is um I mean that's the problem with a pill you don't know what you're getting so there's all sorts of knockoffs where they'll use um, MDA mixed with I think it's something like BZP TMFPP which are both used to caffeine's a common one isn't it like, yeah ca- caffeine is because I mean that's the thing they they put all sorts of things but BZP and TMFPP are two substances both containing fluorine, which are used in worming, and they give people hallucinations, and um, they're mm. not they're not fun. Um, well, but... there seems there seems to be a lot of seems to be a lot of wisdom from uh, bonded by blood, don't they, Caber? Mm. Mm. And the thing is, Alexander Shulkin didn't know about M- MGMA, but it said it was one of his students, a female, who remained anonymous. Who told him about it, no, saying that you weren't anonymous. weren't anonymous. It was Mary no. Kleinman. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry, Mary um, Kleinman. Yeah, I ju- yeah. I just, I just read that out from that. The, um, yeah, the documentary I read years ago. She said, "Oh, look, you know, here's this thing which um, Bale was using in 1912." And the bit where I'm talking about staunching. So in, in, the, in the bit, in the bit I just read, uh, Shulgin wrote some book called Pycal. Is it Pycal and Tcal? Fecal. So yeah. so he wrote Fecal. So he heard from his chemistry student Mary Kleinman, um, and then after perform after having having a go on some M- having a bang on some MDA M- MDMA himself, he he introduced psych- psychotherapist Leo Zeff to the drugs effects. Yeah, because he said it would be really good for marriage counselling. Is um, one of the things ecstasy does is it uh, it ramps up your body's production of oxytocin. Oxytocin is one of those hormones which is to do with love, bonding, and trust. Um, yeah. Both babies and mothers, ha- um, I think the mother produces it in a milk when breastfeeding, and it causes a bond to happen between baby and child. Um, but it's completely artificial, and a lot of people... Yeah. I, I, well, so ec- com- ecstasy was also known as the love drug, wasn't it? Well, yeah, and, and that's why the idea of giving it to couples uh, during marriage counselling. And, of course, the great thing about that, had it continued to be legal, would be like, oh, you know what? That feeling I had during the session has just gone now. Yeah, Yeah. we need another therapy session. Yeah, it's just another way to sell drugs. And, And you know, the the worst thing about ecstasy, because I'm going to have to be one of those people that say drugs are bad, McKay, is that... Ecstasy is so powerful; it will make you dance to house music. <laughs> don't do, don't do drugs. Drugs are bad, okay? Okay. 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 God's own prototype says he says I thought about that aspect would be good for postnatal depression. The worst thing about that is when you give drugs to uh, to women like that, like they were giving Prozac. In the 1980s, there was like a rash of uh, mothers killing their infants, and they just the police just said the first thing they'd ask is she on Prozac, and invariably the answer would be yes, she's on Prozac. Uh, one of the names that they called it apparently um, in the counselling when they was using it for counselling couples in the US, they called it the drug oh. empathy instead of ecstasy. Oh my god, yeah. it's nothing like empathy, real empathy. No. Oh God! Such a hijack. Yeah, but but I mean uh, that sort of, in a way, it's like some sort of Philip K. Dick story. Is that there's a yeah. drug called empathy that gives you yeah. empathy for like an hour, you know, a couple of hours. Here, have some, have a couple of hours of empathy. You know, what I mean, it's sort of, it is sort yeah. of quite 1970s, yeah. uh, sort of like um, odd future, you know, type. But of... it's not real empathy. Cause no, but empathy. but then nor, nor is any of the drugs in Philip K. Dick stories. They're not really yeah. the thing they say they are. They're just yeah, yeah, you know yeah. a, a sort of a, a, a sort of synthesis of something. So it's a sim- it yeah. is a synthesized drug. It's not a natural drug. It's a synthes- It's a synthesized drug in the yeah. first place. So I mean, what, the fact that they the called things... it empathy is it was it was a synthesis of empathy. Yeah. So calling it ecstasy was just a marketing term and. Um, it's probably one of the reasons why it's popular. I mean, after all, a lot of these days, the marketing is, um, it'll be called Mandy, because if people say, oh, if you get Mandy, and if it's a powder, it's pure, and it's just sort of showing 
the idiocracy amongst uh, pill takers. Like, if it's a pill, it's going to be cut with something. But if it's a powder, it's pure. Because only only MDMA comes in powder form. Nothing else comes in a white powder form. It's ridiculous. Um, MDMA, but, MDMA, pure MDMA, comes in liquid form. Well, I, I, I wouldn't know. I mean, I, I, I assume it's just it's a white powder or off-white powder. But, uh, I mean, we're we going to talk about experiences on this, or, or, or are we going to say a friend I know experiences? Yes, we can use that. Yeah, so someone who isn't me took ecstasy once, and he described the experience as being really dirty. You, are, you have he, a friend. You have a friend that took ecstasy that your friend I, took. Well, I, I, have, I have someone who isn't me. Had, had a friend. He hasn't finished yes. the story yet. Yeah, yeah. and he described how the experience was really dirty and how for about a period of an hour he was walking through a major metropolitan area, which definitely wasn't Oxford, just asking every sort of like likely character if they know somewhere he could get some puff because he wanted to feel normal again and really didn't like how he was feeling and wanted to just get high so that he could not be high. And then he said, what a waste of time it was. And this someone who definitely isn't me, then was talking with one of his friends about it. And he <laughs> says, uh, no, he has friends who don't partake in alcohol, but do consume cannabis. And he said, this friend to the person who isn't me said, um, you know, I don't understand all these drugs because like all the people on them, they, they want to get have some puff so that they can feel normal to bring them down or get them level, why not just cut out the middleman and go straight to the puff? And I thought that was probably a very salient thing this friend said to someone who definitely wasn't me. Yeah, so um, carry, mm. carrying on with the story, though. Um, <laughs> the, um, uh, do you want me to crack on with the, with the bit that I'm... Well, yeah, I'll just, I'm just, I'm just going to just cover a bit yeah. more of the late 70s and early 80s. They called it Adam. So, oh, okay, yeah. so the, the the psychotherapists who were working with it at the time, and uh, they and they and they had a small network of of uh, psychiatrists and such and yuppies, and uh, they would sort of uh, distribute it amongst these people. So it was like a sort of elite elite drug, basically. By the end of the they, 1970s. These, these psychiatrists with their surnames have been kind of precious precious metals and uh, Berg and <laughs> Stein. <laughs> um, well, actually, what it was, there was a group of. Um, there was a group of, uh, of, of doctors or, you know, chemists in Boston that were called the Boston group. And, uh, they started, um, producing it recreationally and then selling it in places like New York and, uh, and, uh, in Texas, I think it was, which was where the two the, sort where, of where they're, where they're selling it, where they're selling it in New, in New York, would they have a particular sort of clientele, would they? Yeah. I mean, it's, it was places like studio 54 and Paris, Paris, paradise garage so it's like the the gay scene so it's really it started becoming big on the gay scene in the early 80s and um this group uh the boston group were, were a group of chemists and uh they um they even had a southwest distributor who worked in texas and it says that he was uh he started his own texas group backed financially by texas friends so um this was the guy Michael Clegg who coined the term ecstasy for it because it was called Adam before that, and uh, and so they started selling it down to Texas and then they started selling it over in California, and um, it says that MDMA could be purchased via credit card and taxes were paid on sales under the brand name Sassyfras. MDMA tablets were sold in brown bottles, so there you go. The, the reason it was it was not manufactured as powder is because it was actually being sort of um semi officially manufactured in in labs by by proper chemists you know and it was being sold to sort of an elite group of people and uh obviously they were making money out of it mm. and 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 one of the reasons that they were starting to use it more and more is that is that people the, the druggies were finding it was less addictive than cocaine which is what a lot of the gays were taking before in the club scene you know so you had a lot of those Studio Fifty Four types were were all were all addicted to cocaine, so ecstasy sort of gave them a similar feeling, but it was also less addictive. So, so is ecstasy is ecstasy like uh, other drugs? The fact that the more you do, the more you have to do. Uh, only what like a do you mean you build up a tolerance to it? Yeah, yeah, people did. Yeah, as far as I could remember, but then after a while, it just 
you get so depressed and and messed up in actual everyday people end up just not being able to handle any of it anyway well it's it's kind of like anything you have to pay the piper eventually don't you yeah oh yeah oh yeah I mean, the thing with it is it would take about a week to for your serotonin and other hormones to get back to normal levels. Yeah. So it, it really depletes the body. One of the reasons it makes you feel good is it does sort of affect on those pathways. And I used to know so much about this because I was really fascinated in pharma mm. chemistry. Um, where drugs affect various things in the bodies. Mm. And I, I draw like similarities between various drugs because, oh, well, this drug does this to you. And like this drug, they both act on this channel. Mm. Um, but, um, yeah. But it's so, also the unseen thing it did when you were oh, taking yeah. the drug and, and um, how it depleted things that they haven't tested for, like the glandular system and, and mitochondria and, mm. and what, you know, what different adaptations the body's made because those neurotransmitters were depleted. So sometimes it takes years for your body to balance up and you'd have to be actually detoxing and fasting properly for your body to regenerate, wouldn't it? Mm. Yeah. Wouldn't you? It's not just about not doing the drug. It's about understanding how it's actually affected you holistically, I think, anyway my take yeah it's what i had to do <laughs> a lot of people in my generation it wasn't just a few months it was like years you feel the effects yeah yeah that's right so, so about carry on uh, uh, about, yeah. about a year after ecstasy was outlawed in the u.s it surfaced in europe and became popular on the party scene in 88 ecstasy was added to to the list of the dopium act the increase in ecstasy use went hand in hand with the growing popularity of huge raves, techno parties, and dance parties in the UK, Belgium, and oh, later in the Netherlands. In the in the years following its emergence in the Netherlands, that ecstasy was still imported from the US. The illegal production of ecstasy in Western Europe first appeared in Amateur in the Netherlands. Uh, in addition to MDMA, these labs manufactured a wide uh, a variety of Related chemical compounds referred to as designer drugs or research chemicals, RCs. Many RCs were not yet covered by the Opium Act. So these are kind of like early uh, legal highs then. Well, so what happened uh, with the Boston Group, so to tie into this, is that the Boston Group of chemists started getting their, uh, their obviously they're a bunch of uh, psychiatrists, chemists, yuppies, you know, they're not really your sort of heavy drug dealer gangster types and so uh once once the gangsters started seeing that there was a, a a trade for this you know for for drugs for this new type of drug that was out they started muscling in on the um on the on the trade routes and on the uh boston chemists uh little game that they had had of uh, you know producing pills and selling them to their friends and and gays and party goers and all this and so they basically took over. So the, the the hardcore drug dealing gangsters took over the um, ecstasy trade in America, and so the Boston Group relocated to the Netherlands, and that's why we get what Hem what Hemingford's talking about now, which is the. So the, the next, yeah, the next the next chapter is ecstasy in the Netherlands. Although MDMA MDMA had, has been in the Dutch Opium Act since the eighty eight, they need to do it to address the synthetic drug problem. The need to address the synthetic drug problem has only been acknowledged since 1997. In that year, the report XDC in Nederland was, was sent to the Dutch House of Representatives. This report made clear that ecstasy was the most used hard drug in the Netherlands, in part due to its association with the popular dance culture. But it was not only in the Netherlands that people were eager to get their hands on ecstasy. A number of criminal entrepreneurs exported the drug to other countries. Worldwide, a substantial increase was, see was seen in the counts of seized synthetic drugs, which had some connection with the Netherlands. Various countries, including the US, confronted the ne Netherlands with this issue. In 2001, partly as a response to international pressure, the Dutch Justice Department released a memorandum in which synthetic drugs were made a distinct priority amongst D Dutch investiga investigative authorities, a situation that continues to this day. But how did the Netherlands manage to become a major producer of ecstasy when the drug had, it, had its origins in the US? Most likely a number of unique circumstances in supply and demand for this drug lay at the root of this development. The demand for ecstasy increased quickly. Uh, Korf uh, attempted to explain the success of ecstasy 
by looking at the characteristics of its users, the social and cultural environment in which the drug is used. Uh, blah, blah. That's the kind of stuff we know about. Um, so now, basically, but... approximately 90% of, of all of the M- MDMA in the world or ecstasy in the world is manufactured in the Netherlands. So um, wow. it definitely shifted from, you know, the center of it being boston and then obviously out of boston they were manufacturing it in texas and or shipping it to texas and right, California. His, his... And then they it shifted to the netherlands so it's definitely coming out of the netherlands and it has been for the last 20 so 20 years or something an important factor in the Probably supply not. side of ecstasy is the fact that the infrastructure required for the production and trade of mdma was already largely in place in the netherlands after all the dutch played a illicit alcohol distillation and the production of amphetamines since the 70s. Both production processes processes are suitable for the production of ecstasy. Mm. In this respect, one can speak of routine socio-economic activities. Organisations then only have to switch over to another product line, so to speak, in order to manufacture the new drugs. Yeah, so they they basically switch the... The, the 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 stills and the uh, bunsen burners and uh, and pipettes and all the rest of it instead of <laughs> making uh, illicit alcohol they just switched it into making um, illicit MDMA which is it wasn't much different because you're still doing you know distillation and as as transcendent some put it alchemy so <laughs> so they so they say that the the laboratory the, the laboratory experience required for ecstasy production as well as the contacts needed to obtain the necessary equipment and chemicals was... So in the 70s, Dutch amphetamine manufacturers already had good contacts and large supply in Germany and Scandinavia. Moreover, their existing partnerships allowed them to swiftly move in and to serve the British market for ecstasy. Through the, through the years, a certain division of labour emerged within the Netherlands. Ex- ecstasy was primarily, primarily manufactured in the south while traffickers with international contacts were concentrated around in and around Amsterdam. Uh, I don't know how old this report is, but the number of current ecstasy users in the Netherlands was estimated at 40,000 in 2005, although ecstasy use declined between 96 and 2003, especially among, among school-aged youth. <laughs> From 2.3% to 1.2%, ecstasy remains the second most used drug in the Netherlands after cannabis. In Western Europe, Central Europe and North America, it's cut the current ecstasy use is just under 1%, while in Australia and neighbouring countries it stands at 3%. Current use in East Asia and Southeast Asia is still low at 0.1%, but the user population is growing fast. Mm. So it says here, uh, ecstasy produced in the Netherlands for export. Um, only a small portion is for domestic uh, consumption. Uh, this can be easily explained by the considerable profit margins to be had in other countries, especially those outside Europe. Uh, prices, average production cost a single ecstasy tab amounts to uh, 0.15 euros to 0.20 euros. Uh, so then in America, it goes for goes to 20 to 30 euros. Australia, New Zealand, about thirty euros, and Japan, twenty-five to fifty. Hmm. Fifteen cents per tab. Yeah. Nice. But it's That's um, cheap. Yeah, but it's it, the the routes that it takes the routes that it takes to get out of there is is what uh, adds the price on to each of the tablets. So, to you know, to each of the pill, it's the same with any drug. So every process that it goes through beyond the point of of production it sort of adds on a little bit extra, you know, because you've got to get it through this country and, and that country, and so you have to add on a few more thousands of dollars. Yeah, it's not like you can just send it through UPS. You know, for, for, for 15p a pill or something, you know, you've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to pay someone along the way to get it through, mm. basically. Mm. Um, and so uh, one of the ways that they, that they were getting... Um, or not one of the ways, but the reason, another reason, another another thing that was repurposed in the Netherlands, as well as um, the, you know, the illicit alcohol production was switched over to illicit drug production, was the um, the diamond, the the, the trade in uh, smuggling illegal, uh, you know, um, uh, smuggled diamonds, which all went through Antwerp, and so the ecstasy 
main port of of um of of exporting ecstasy out of the out of the Netherlands is through Antwerp. And Antwerp has a extensive has an extensive uh network of um diamond smuggling which goes mm. all around the world. And so this was how they started uh exporting ecstasy all over the place was through the diamond smuggling routes. So they repur they didn't just repurpose the machinery that was um, available to make the ecstasy. They repurposed the actual uh, logistic network. Yeah, the logistic network exactly. So this was, you know, it's a very professional operation. And so from probably the late nineties onwards, uh, the um, early nineties onwards, ecstasy production and and um, exportation shifted through to from from the Netherlands out out to the rest of the world. I went to Antwerp this year for the first time, and um, it's quite nice. I, I went to the old old town where it's very pretty, and uh, then I found out uh, the the Dutch don't call it Antwerp; they call it Antwerpen, and the the French they don't call it that; they call it Anvers, which I've probably mispronounced. Mm. But we've got no other French speakers here, so I'm just going to pretend yeah, that I said it perfectly. Yeah, you're our um, token French speaker. I'm the I'm the yeah, token you're continental. Like frog. Yeah. <laughs> um, the foreign correspondent. Yeah, and and so um, um, the majority of people, obviously, in Antwerp that that are part of the diamond uh, trade are um, Israeli, and uh, so yeah. they're um, just as Belgium as you or I, Kaber. Yeah, but um, but they're but actually they're not because there is they still class they still call themselves Israelis. So, but um, do you do you want to do the uh of the the next bit is the science bit? Do you want to? Do you oh want yeah, to know about going, the yeah. Bit, before we go so, into the into the the people be, the people currently behind the. the majority I just of... I just got to do a little wordplay before you do that. Okay, but are you trying to tell me that they are dual citizens? Dual is in you know duals. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right, so actual synthesis takes so so part one is synthesis. The actual synthesis takes place in this phase with precursor piper. Do you think you should read this bit, Hobbit? Piper on methyl ketone PMK. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'll read this stuff. Um, I, I got to have a look at the um, uh, fourteen words uh, uh, show prep. So I can read the thing? Yeah, you want to look in show prep and then it's research dot something. Uh, show prep, show prep. So uh, episode not, 3, 88 to 89. Oh, there we go. Yeah. And, and um, then you see researchgate.net. Oh, I was going to talk in the chat to God's own prototype, but real history, drug rings, real history. Brains. This is really good. Maybe it'd be easier if you were just to, you know, copy and paste the link to me. Actually, um, I'll put it in. I'll put it in show prep on grub and soil. Ah, uh, yeah, there we go. There you go. Well, we're doing it live, guys. We're we're doing it live, and uh, <laughs> the production of ecstasy in the Netherlands. And uh, yeah, so you're, you're gonna have to roll. You're gonna have to roll it down a bit to get to. Oh, uh, am I reading the abstract? No, I'm reading the PDF. So produ what? Produ production, production process of MDMA is the bit you want to get down to. Production process of MDMA. Here we go. To give a better understanding of the logistical steps a criminal organization must take in manufacturing ecstasy and trafficking in it, the production process is further discussed below. The process requires experienced lab technicians. In practice, some lab technicians have limited knowledge and experience, but work with a recipe from a cookbook. They are most likely directed by people who do have a good understanding of the synthesis process. There are eight main steps in the production of ecstasy. The description below is given in non-specialist language without details of the specific chemical processes involved. So step one is synthesis. The actual synthesis takes place in this phase and requires the precursor, which is piperonyl methyl ketone. PMK is primarily produced in China. The main legal application of PMK is an ingredient in perfumes and cleaning agents. Um, yeah, saffron has got quite a nice scent, so that's why people to this day will grow the trees because it is nice, and that's why it was used in root beer because it's got a nice scent. Um, I, I I got to look up seeing what perfumes use it. 
The main legal so I said that. Uh, obtaining PMK is one of the greatest challenges in MDA in production. Unlike other ingredients in MDMA, there are no good alternatives for PMK. So to a large degree, PMK suppliers determine the production of MDMA. In addition, in addition to PMK, other chemicals are needed to make MDMA. For instance, monomethylamine, methanol, platinum oxide, or platinum oxide would be used as a catalyst. So it's not, okay, yeah, okay, catalysts are used, but they're not really used. Acetone and hydrochloric acid. Although most of these ingredients have legal applications, using them for the production of synthetic uh, drugs is a criminal offence. You don't say. Good job, good job he said that. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, just so you know, you, you can have these things, but if you use them, it's like saying if you use a car, ah, oh, okay, I'm going on the tangent. Let's just carry on with the thing. Required hardware includes a pressure tank with a pressure gauge, a temperature gauge, tap, propulsion engine, so what, a pump, mixing mechanism, and well, vacuum yeah, pump. Yeah, yeah, a propulsion engine. Well, that, that just means, you know, you're pumping fluids from one place to another. Mixing mechanism. So what, so, what is, so what does the high pressure do then? How do you know? Well, you do things at certain pressures in order to increase up the catalyzation. So that I imagine that that's the stage you're putting them at high temperature and pressure in order to uh, break down the bonds and PMK into something. But I've never looked up an ecstasy synthesis, so I I, I don't know. I, it never interested me. Um, so the required hardware PMK. The yield depends largely on the amount of PMK available, which after synthesis is roughly one third of the volume of the pressure tank. One of the largest tanks encountered in the laboratory had a volume of 500 litres. In theory, this allows for batches of 170 litres of MDMA oil at one time. Synthesis is a complex and dangerous process, but it is also crucial for the quality of the final product. Distillation. So if you're, so if you're, saying, that, so if you're saying that PMK is the thing that's required, and that's used in perfumes and cleaning agents. That means one of somebody involved in this whole process either either makes makes cleaning chemicals or they make perfumes, don't they? Well, the sad thing about this is it means that we can't get genuine root beer, like you can't get genuine Coca Cola, because people just say, "Ah, oh, you're just doing that as a front to synthesise cocaine, synthesise ecstasy." Um, yeah. Um, do, I, do, I, do you want to go on the distillation or shall I read it out? Uh, yeah, you, you, you carry on. You can do the science. Alright. So, distillation. In this phase of the process, various fluids are separated from one another using their differences in boiling points. Hardware needed for this phase includes heating mantles, gas burners, 20-litre round-bottom flasks with cooling units, a vacuum pump, temperature gauge, or a distillation unit with a collection tank. This phase takes well, we, several... We get, we're getting short on time, so if you can... Um... Yeah, ah. Synthesis and distillation <laughs> both carried on in a period of 10 hours, and then you've got crystallisation, so the MDA oil is transformed into a solid form, which can be really absorbed. So acetone or hydrochloric acid used as a solvent and acid. And then you've got filtration, where you're filtering out the, the actual MDMA from the uh, chemical um, waste, and then you dry it out. Um, unlike amphetamine, MDMA is generally consumed in pill form. To make tablets, you've got to dry it out. What else? Pulverizing. Yeah, you've got to pulverize it. And then you've got to mix and color it. So you, you're doing the pill press there and then you're tableting it. Yeah. And that's where you can put your logo, like the Mitsubishi Diamond on it. Uh, what was it? Was it the apple? Or, your, the apple? or, your, or, the, or the Star of David. Yeah, um... you can put a Star of <laughs> But as we all as we all know, the Mitsubishi diamonds were the best ones. So um, why, why would you want to why would you want to put a Star of David on there? Because um, um, shocking specials. Because there's a because there's a big link, obviously, between uh, where it's where it's made and where it goes out to, and uh, uh, who it is who's actually doing the shipping out. Um, so this is from um, FPP.co.uk. Um, What's uh, FPP stand for? FPP.co.uk. Uh, I don't know, actually. Free the PP. It's. Uh, I think it's David. Ir I think it's David Irving's site. Okay. Um, but it's. Uh, I'm just trying to find the section. Let me keep stalling. Oh, it says it. You know, I said I wondered about, wondered about the tableting machines. So it says yeah. the tableting machines. Um, 
Basically, criminal criminal organisations obtain tableting machines secondhand on the internet or by buying up the assets of assets of bankrupt companies. Uh, oh right, okay. So um, what I was going to read was uh, um, about the uh, Israeli dealers are not only content with local distribution of in, within Israel. Uh, working with Dutch and Belgian criminal connections, they were instrumental in marketing the drug and creating the demand in Europe and throughout the world, according to DEA agents working in Europe. They used Western Europe as a hub to distribute es- ecstasy globally since the pill-making technology and the chemicals required to make the drug could easily be found in the Netherlands and Belgium. With their existing smuggling networks, which is from the diamonds, obviously, the Israelis easily flooded the market in Europe and Israel and the United States, according to federal U.S. law enforcement officials in the Netherlands. And once the customers asked for more, you could almost print the money yourself. Ecstasy profits are enormous. It costs 15 to 25 cents to produce one tablet, with which wholesalers will sell for $2 a pill. Distributors sell it for $10 to $15 a pill. By the time a drug dealer sells it at a disco, it can fetch up to $25 and $40. To $40. Thus, a $100,000 investment by an organized crime group can, in a matter of weeks, earn more than $5 million. Labs can manufacture some 100,000 tablets in a few days. Ecstasy is produced primarily in Dutch and Belgium labs, ranging from industrial-sized plants and mobile labs hidden inside trucks or on floating barges to basements underneath farms and factories. In the past year, about 50 labs were dismantled. This is uh, 2002, I think. About 50 labs were dismantled by police in Holland and Belgium, but they keep springing up in new locations, DEA agents in Belgium say. Packaged pills are sent overseas for a variety of methods. Air parcel companies such as FedEx and UPS are amongst the most popular. Israeli dispatchers will drive through Holland, Belgium and Luxembourg, stopping off to ship their packages according to drug task force detectives in New York. The Israelis are veterans. Some served in elite units and intelligence units, said a New York narcotics agent. They know all the tricks of surveillance and counter-surveillance. They are very hard to catch. Law enforcement, however, is slowly denting this pipeline. This was on the April 5th, 2000. US federal agents intercepted a two, two 40-pound FedEx packages of ecstasy that were um, being shipped to hotel rooms in Boston and Brookline, Massachusetts. The recipients, Yaniv Yona and Eretza Abutbal, were Israelis. A few months later, U.S. customs officials in Los Angeles seized ecstasy shipments of 650,000 and 2.1 million tablets, respectively flights from Paris. Um, They're all saying you can't ship out on UPS. And I was like, I guess not. No, it's FedEx. Yeah. Um... They and and DEA agents and detectives say Israelis have been involved in almost all the major busts. They have included Sean wow. Erez, currently awaiting extradition from Netherlands, Shimon Levita, a New York yeshiva student who was sentenced to thirty months in a federal boot camp for participating in the some war. of these names sound, sound highly familiar. They, they almost sound like they're all from a similar place in the world. Yeah, Jacob Orgad, identified as an Israeli Jacob, national Jacob. with operations in Yanine. Texas, New York, Florida, California, and Paris. Um, so New York and Miami with considerable Israeli populations are major transit points for the drug. The Tel Aviv to Antwerp to Amsterdam to New York City route is a classic smuggler's path, says a Belgian police officer. But with law enforcement lately scrutinizing arrivals at JFK and Newark Airport more closely, ecstasy distribution are now focusing on Los Angeles and the West Coast, where indigenous Israeli communities... I know, I know, that, I know this isn't fact or scientific, life. but do you remember... They, when when they nick the diamonds at the start of, uh, start of snatch, they all dress up as Hasids. Do you remember that? <laughs> but the thing do, is, that, do, I you, mean, do you remember that? Bit? Yeah, but diamonds diamonds do resemble the pills as well. You know, so they're sort of you're you're talking about small things that can be smuggled in a certain. You know, you have a certain way of smuggling small things like that. So, I suppose mm-hmm. you know, repurposing the routes that they used for. Um, diamonds is is quite obvious yeah um they don't and it says they don't um the israeli ecstasy rings have been mainly used have mainly used israelis sometimes unwittingly as mules or couriers to bring the drugs into the united states israeli nationals living in europe and the united states typically young and seeking some easy cash make ideal couriers they don't fit the image of a colombian cocaine smuggler and they don't usually arrive en masse and and here's a a good here's a good paragraph from that report Secondly, there are no hard and fast rules that organised crime will always follow a given pattern. 
Apart from flexible networks, there are also strong, strongly cohesive or hybrid networks. Examples include ethnically homogenous groups with effective family relationships. It is precisely because they are not purely instrumental that these latter networks are durable. Mm. And what was you going to say, mm. Transcendent Sun? Um, what was it about? What were we're talking about oh. the uh, how why Israeli young Israelis don't fit the bill normally. Yeah, yeah, they've um, even when they see their name, they're not even going to attempt anything, are they? Because they're gonna not want to look like an anti. Uh... Yeah, and that's what Hemingford was just saying as well. Yeah, yeah. same thing. Yeah. Isn't it? They're, they're 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 easier to use because they're 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 all one group. Well, speaking of um, a certain tribe being involved in uh, the sale of dr drugs, did you remember there was um, a notorious wholesaler? I, 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 again, I'm sorry, I can't remember their name because it was one of those foreign, like Mr. Goldberg Blatstein. And he was responsible for wholesaling a synthetic cannabis, which was a really awful one. I mean, it was like um, the, the one which sort of turning people into zombies. And uh, he was oh, put into... Yeah, but no, I think it was one called K2 or something like that. And uh, he, he was sort of saying, well, it was legal at the time, but and I think he got sentenced to 40 years and Donald Trump commuted his sentence, so he's out now. And I just thought, oh, yeah, that, that, that's that, I'm, I'm sure that was a really good idea. And I just thought, was it Donald Trump doing this or was it Jared Kushner saying, like, hey, um, I miss seeing this guy at Temple. Could you get him out, please? I mean, this guy ruined thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people's lives. Yeah. And he deserved to be put into prison. I mean, the, the synthetic cannabis, which, by the way, the, um, those, those synthetic cannabinoids were developed in uh, Jerusalem University. They are poison. Unlike cannabis, which does, I mean, it, it does affect the heart and the central nervous system. And in if with some people's sensitivity to it can cause heart attacks. This synthetic cannabis will stop hearts, it will stop people breathing. It is it is properly dangerous. Perhaps we can use it well, to uh back get, to the, get rid of back uh, to the criminal synthetic links. There's libertarian. quite an interesting part here. Synthetic yeah. libertarians? Perhaps we could use the synthetic cannabis to get rid of synthetic libertarians. <laughs> um, so, so it says here it says several police investigations have re revealed a pattern of Chinese criminals bringing PMK because we were saying we were wondering where the PMK comes from and yeah. selling it to Dutch producers of ecstasy due to language barriers and the scarcity of product the import side has become the exclusive Chinese criminals one could argue that they make up part of the network of the Dutch synthetic drug producers but one could also argue that Chinese and Dutch criminals constitute two separate networks that work together. The illegal imp importation of PMK itself constitutes a separate criminal process. Yeah. Um, I did read something else about um, when they restricted Safrol. The United, the United Nations restricted Safrol to try and curb the supply of MDMA. And so China began using um, something called Anathol. Instead. Oh well, it, well it says it. it says new legislation in China means that as of two thousand and eight, the production of PMK PMK is being more close closely monitored. As a result, producing the Netherlands are rumored to be having more difficulty obtaining this proof. For the moment, drug experts have observed that less ecstasy is being confiscated worldwide. Yeah, and so this, this so so is is that because there's less ecstasy about, or is it because that their their networks are getting better? Yeah, and and you know, whenever they ban, stops, forget it at the, they just do some kind of shitty thing that worse in the long run or more toxic or put in China. Yeah, that's what I was using just, another chemical. Yeah, that's what I was just going to bring in is that they yeah. actually created something called um, PMA, which is called Doctor Death, uh, which uh. is much more toxic than MDMA and can cause overheating, muzzle spasms sorry, muscle spasms, seizures, unconsciousness, and death, which is quite an unwanted um, side effect of a drug. But that sounds mm. like, um, uh, to bring us on to, well, that no, sounds like uh, Leah Betts, because that, uh, Leah the, Betts. yeah, so so the, 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 the Chinese version of MDMA um, 
which yeah so this is to do with the 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 uh reduction of saffron or whatever it's called oh if you want to know about did, did you want me to talk about how she possibly died well i think i think we can go into we can move into the sort of um the you know the 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 london and and the english um uh, drug scene and 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 ecstasy. Well, how ecstasy if I could just briefly mention before you go on to the subject of Leah Betts, which I am interested in, uh, the the government has a um, drug advisory panel, which was led by um, Professor Nutt, which is perhaps an unfortunate choice in names, and he uh, was saying that he was quoted by the tabloids, which of course you know uh, really uh, just the tabloids are fucking awful up this. He was saying. In terms of risk, ecstasy is less dangerous statistically than, than horse riding. And people are saying, oh, how terrible is this? So I thought, how many of these people have actually ridden a horse and understand the dangers of riding horses? Because having done both, well, having known people that have done both, <laughs> I could say... Having done one I, and known people who have done the other. Yes, I, I can say that uh, horse riding is dangerous and it is bloody painful to fall off a horse when he's galloping. Um, and ecstasy, when you're overheating from it and getting dehydrated, is it can be dangerous. But then again, this is the thing. Things in, in life are, are risky. And I just think to myself, I, I almost sort of feel the government, they, they like to play up the dangers and all these things. But then again, when it comes to stuff that's useful, like uh, coffee, cigarettes, alcohol, commuting to work on public transport, your own con uh, conveyance, those things are dangerous as well. Land but there's no... Your country. The, yeah, there's, there's no public safety campaign about, oh, you know, it's dangerous uh, uh, travelling to work, so you shouldn't do it. They, they, they just do it with this stuff. They, they really... Perped. I mean, I remember when I was in school and they were talking about how, how awful, how ketamine was worse than any psychedelic because uh, you could be stuck in a K-hole and when you're there, there's nothing you can do to stop the demons from coming up because you're absolutely paralyzed. Stary-eyed surprised by Paul Oakenfold's about uh, ketamine, isn't it? Is it? Oh, I don't know. I think so. But, I mean, there, there's just so many that say there's bollocks about it. And I, rem I remember, <laughs> I remember our, our form tutor being... Uh, told off by the police when she because she was taking the drugs out of the sample back packets and saying and she's saying oh no you shouldn't do that because some of these drugs are so potent she didn't mention it was lsd that just by touching them that you can get a contact high from it but i just thought no you're not going to get that from handling a block of hash oh do you do you, do you know what sir do you know what can kill you when you're doing mdma so obviously the first one you've mentioned is heat stroke. Did you know you can get water intoxication? Yeah, because again, people that are stupid and go, oh, I heard you can dehydrate on this. I'm going to drink five litres in the next two hours. Why have I got water drunk yeah, in but... this? <laughs> yeah, but it's not only that. MDMA is an antidiuretic. Oh, so yeah. So your kidneys. Water, so... Yeah. yeah, yeah. That That's the other thing. I, so I um... Is it? Don't you fuck your electrolytes up if you take it? It's the salts and things like that, isn't it? If you, no, that was, do, you, do you remember that? Do you remember that woman that that did the? Uh, do you remember that competition where if you don't wee, you can win a wee when the wee first came out? Do you remember that? Oh one? dear. And the she woman basically like she took <laughs> basically the same sort of thing. She took on loads and loads of water, but she weren't but she weren't going for a pee to win this competition. Mm. And, it, and it fucks and it fucks all your salts up and stuff like that, and that's oh, what kills you. Doesn't it? Getting back onto um, onto the Netherlands, uh, an know, astronomer, Ty oh, I was going to say Tycho Brahe. Oh, sorry. Uh, serot serotonin syndrome, do you know what that is? Yes, it's something uh, farmers got to watch out for. If you've got St. John's wort, cows will eat it and then they'll get serotonin syndrome. It's a terrible way of dying. Yeah. So, uh, what's it? Uh, Migraines and hallucinations. Too much, too much serotonin can result in serotonin syndrome. It typically occurs when other drugs that also raise serotonin levels, other stimulants and antidepressants are taken together with MDMA. Signs include high body temperature, agitation, confusion, problems controlling muscles, headache, and the shakes. People might also have seizures or loss of consciousness. Uh... So, we... oh, so even at the end of this article, it says the number of people who die from party drugs is relatively low compared to other drugs such as heroin, alcohol, and pharmaceuticals. Well, that's the real bad drug, isn't it? Alcohol. Mm. 
And yet, at the same time, there's none of this scare campaigns with alcohol because we're all familiar with it. We've grown up with it. And I believe most of us here understand our limits when it comes to this stuff. And also, they need people to be, you know, having a, a, a sort of dulling down thing, don't they, for the weekends, for their slave labour, materialist society bullshit Yeah, to thing. live in this world, yeah, you need some kind of... Oh, I've, a safety I've, valve. I've, I've, I've think, I think the increased use of cannabis that is definitely to do with keeping the masses docile. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what um, the legalisation of it's going to be about as well. Mm. Yeah, um, Godzone said, you know, what of the um, Summer of Love psyop then? I think we'll cover that but, at the very end of all of this. Yeah. Right, in the last ep- in, in a last episode. We'll, we'll do, we'll, we'll do, we'll do yeah, a, we'll a wrap-up. Yeah. Yeah. Because this, is, this, this episode's quite interesting because of the connections that, you know, that we're start, we, we're quite good at seeing patterns, aren't we? Us lot? We can see a few patterns here and there. And yeah. So um, it's, it's interesting because if you are going to talk about the social impact as well as the chemical see, stuff pa- and the toxicity you... of the body and everything, it seems like the whole thing is, it, it may not even be purposefully to do that. It's just that it's got to do that because it's the whole, the whole idea of it is so, what we would consider evil or mm-hmm. horrible or anti-us, you know. So it's going to have toxic effects. It's going to have this. It's going to have that. Everything that you've talked about in this series, it kind of all adds up, really, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. You you see patterns. I see anti-Semitic canards. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see anti-Semitic tropes. <laughs> um, so um, bringing it round to um, um, bringing it back home, so to speak, what, what about our own... Um, our own uh, ecstasy connections and and gangland. Yeah, and are, are we going to talk? Are we going to talk about the the poster girl for um, ecstasy deaths or? Yeah. Yes, please mention Leah Betts. Leah Betts. We'll, we'll we'll mention her more next week when we when we finish up with the Essex. I've, um, I've got I've got an interesting, very short, quick story. Go on. I did it twice, both of which someone you know was did it shit. twice. Someone, someone you know did it twice. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't care. It was like thirty years ago, but yeah, someone I knew who did it. So you can edit that bit out. Um, uh, someone I knew did it, and they said it was so boring because their frequency was already quite high, and they were already in love with lots of things, and they were already creative, and they were already danced for eight or nine hours at a time. You know, they didn't need so. And and then they had some friends as well who did it who were the same types of people and they thought it was really boring too. And then everyone who'd done it who was feeling, you know, were feeling in that same way also said that they'd felt depressed for years and years and years and it took them ages and it was literally from that from that time that they, you know, it was sort of a significant kind of obvious change that had happened. It's an interesting so, point you make there and I, I want to expand and, on that. And then did, did some, you, did, some I, I do. Have, I do have a question. Hold on, your, hold on. Sorry, carry some on. Some of my friends who took it, who also did meditation and transcendent things, you know, later on, realised that it was all just to do with the frequency, and that it really hit people who, you know, it hit people hard who were already in that love state, or who were already quite equanimous or loving or kind, or you know, all that kind of thing that it made people, and the people who didn't have that frequency or, or were quite depleted anyway you know found it a really exciting amazing drug really so i think really at the end of the day that's my story is that you know some people actually found it boring well and so i don't what, think it's even worth the toxicity yeah so what, there you go sorry no that's fine i i, I want to say I, I agree with what you've just said there because my uh person who isn't me experience of this <laughs> Who, who told me in complete candid detail, so it's almost as if I had the experience yeah. myself, said that the, the, the thing is they, they, they're quite self-aware of their own processes and they said yeah. they could just tell it was artificial and that's what yeah, they didn't exactly. like about it. They, they just that's knew the, the feeling was artificial and that's why they wanted cannabis because yeah. they're just like, I, I need to tune this out. I need, I need some numbing here. And... Yeah. Uh, not sure why they didn't go with alcohol in this case, yeah. but I guess that didn't have the desired effect. So, and I, I, someone I, says knocked you off your path, and it probably did, didn't it? It knocked those people off their path. So, uh, yeah, it will. I will, but sometimes I almost feel like the tangents when you go back to the path. It's almost as if give you a bit of experience and 
and yeah. to appreciate going back on the path a bit yeah, more. So definitely. The, 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 these, um, these sort of meandering paths like a river take, they sometimes you see a more interesting scenery that way. And, exactly. uh, but eventually, you, you, well, I was, was going to say, eventually you want to get back onto it because you realise like you've wasted some time going down yeah. there. Uh, a, a diversion and um yeah. yeah and got some toxicity or whatever from it but anyway yeah, yeah I, I agree with that mm. it's just part and parcel of modern living yeah part and parcel part and parcel i hope that's going on kadat uh, on, on sadiq khan's gravestone it's it's gotta be <laughs> oh no wait don't you understand muslim tradition is that yeah after your body gets sharp you get dumped at sea <laughs> So uh, anyway, uh, back to uh, bring, yeah, let's start bringing it closer to home and then start wrapping up because we're we need it. Yeah. We're at so uh, so what, uh, I think it sounds like you have no idea what you want to do. You you, you no, you just Leah Betts. Let's go into Leah Betts because Leah Betts is obviously. Uh, we're talking about ecstasy experiences and Leah Betts was uh, the uh, actually, most famous. I haven't done any research on. I haven't actually done any research on Leah Betts yet. Basically, uh, in um, in nineteen ninety five. Leah Betts was a, a, a raver who took uh, some ecstasy. And uh, I think she was only young, wasn't she? She was only 18 when she died. Um, Eight, 17, 18, was And she? then drank approximately seven litres of water in a 90-minute period. Well, that'll do the job. She <laughs> um, <laughs> sounds intelligent. And she was uh, taken into hospital and co- um, went into a coma. And they took pictures of her and put it all over the papers. Um, of her in a coma with tubes all down her throat or whatever it was and and this was used as a as a uh a way to sort of draw their um second summer of love and uh ecstasy adventure well, into think... some kind of close which was that they were gonna they were gonna sort of um basically drop the boom on all the young people you know and and uh and bring them really bring them down put add a proper downer to their lives um, I'll pro- I'll prob- I wouldn't, the, I wouldn't, go, that, I wouldn't of... go that far. The thing with the thing with Leah Betts was was her dad was a top was an ex top cop, so I think it's just that her dad was connected. But then I think and that's and that's why the boom came down because of who her father was. Yeah, but is this? I mean, this was like the national media used this as uh, mm. you know to highlight the dangers of illegal. Oh drugs yeah, but, but if she if she'd have been some scrape in particular, account- you know. Yeah, yeah, of course. She'd, of she'd course, have been yeah. some scrape from a council estate. She wouldn't have got. Yeah, that why, why waste a why waste a a, a good a good yeah. story? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, so they used it as a way of sort of of really of of, of sort of bringing a downer on everybody, and um, it was also just before Blair got in. So you had a whole sort of um, you know the the end of the sort of the culmination of that whole ecstasy period. Well, people 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 were high on politics after that when. Oh God! No, they was they do, was, do they was high on uh, Cool Britannia after that. You know, it became yeah, Cool Britannia. Britannia. Stop doing ecstasy, start doing cocaine. Do, do you remember when they had that awful song, the theme tune, "Things Can Only Get Better" by D-Ream? Wasn't Brian yeah. Cox the keyboardist in that? He was. Yes, yeah. he was. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that spastic. Oh. Fucking hate him. He's, um, he's portrayed around like our version of Neil deGrasse Tyson. Like, oh, look, Science Man is. says oh, something. To be, fair, to be fair, he is. He's probably got the same IQ. Hello, I'm Science Man, and I'm saying you should eat maggot burgers because climate change. Look, I'm stars, Brian Cox. Stars, isn't they beautiful? Stars, <laughs> isn't it? Stars, isn't it, though? Um, and so um, this ties in with our, with our sort of uh our our uh, concluding episode next week which which is going to be on the uh Essex boys because Leah Betts was a uh, an Essex resident she was from Essex she was an Essex girl well, as they well, were the known pi- during the, the pill- 90s I think I think the pills that she bought came from the Essex boys so that's that's how they link into all this yeah um and um yeah, so that's what we're going to basically cover next week. Is uh, the the sort because British... um, it, it's it's disputed. It's disputed who killed the Essex boys. There, there are two boys that two guys that are in prison for it, but it's also disputed. So it's a bit of a it's it's a crime slash murder mystery. Yeah, and it, and it and it sort of ties in with this whole you know the whole end of the summer of love and uh, the, the sort of mm. the, the beginning of the uh, 
the the decline really i think 95 96 is where it all starts sort of uh going yeah. taking a turn for the worst in the country yeah nice good well-planned decline yeah yeah the what's it what do they call that then when it's planned the planned decline what's that called um the where they're managed no they're like it's like a managed decline <laughs> managed decline yeah, yeah. And that's what starts after uh and leah betts sort of uh symbolizes that and then obviously the the essex boys dying in a in a range rover also i remember the pictures yeah. of that and that was that was quite sort of in a lane in a lane in retendon yeah so we're going to do that next week mm. so i hope everyone's had a, a good show for this week um yeah thank you for inviting me on oh that's all right thanks for sitting in it's good to have some comments from you and uh Thanks for picking up the slack. I was ill. Um, Caber's right. Vegetables will make you ill, but um, <laughs> I, I need to. I need to go and buy some meat. I'm, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. I'm going to have a steak dinner after exercise. Mm. Also looking forward to that. Yeah. No, the the one I have in the pub, they do peas, chips, and onion rings with with the steak. Mm. You're not going to eat the chip. You're going to push the chips on the floor, though. <laughs> or, or you you do what my dad's mate used to do where it's like oh the ashtray that's where you scrape your vegetables into <laughs> fuck's sake <laughs> oh that'll learn them yeah why don't you just say when you have the dinner it's like I don't want anything but meat on the plate why not just say oh yeah do all the usual stuff and then I'm going to scrape it into the ashtray because I'm a cunt Ooh, how, how, is how is it? How is it? Using the hobby? c word on fourteen words. I'm gonna have to go through and cut that bit out now. Oh, sorry. Right, right. At time code, Vinny. We uh, need to sanitise this for Radio Four, do we? <laughs> how, how, how is it? Hobbit can even derail a wrap up. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, oh god, I've killed him. Don't forget. Oh, don't god, forget. Um, tomorrow night at nine on the um, BPC, we've got um, Transcend to Zero Point with Morgoth. Uh, should be oh, a good. Yeah. Oh, look forward to that. And, it, and if you and if you're watching this in the future, then it's not tomorrow night. Yeah, you can just I, go. I, I was just listening... go back and check our channel for it on YouTube. Yeah, I was listening to your interview Vinny, with Vinny, Vinny, take that take that reference out as well. Yeah. Oh. I, yeah. I was listening to your interview with Cabra. I I didn't understand much of it, but I liked the tone of voice. Thank you. Oh, thanks very much. <laughs> I, 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 sorry, I wasn't paying attention to it. I oh, was doing not, other no, things. I, I thought you meant you liked my voice, but you're not on about my voice, are you? Know, it's just uh, just actually, like everyone else, you're on about transcendence. Both Sonny, of Sonny, you, Sonny, do, Sonny, do Lady Chatterley's Lover as an audio. You'll both, make a, you'll make a both of you have nice tone of voices. That's why it was good background ambience. <laughs> well, what, what Hobbit's trying to say is you two sent him to sleep, I think, is what he's trying to say. <laughs> Right. I did need I did need that now. <laughs> That's good. Anyway. Oh. All right. Let's go. Well, yeah, thank you. All right. Thanks See everyone. everyone. See you soon. See you next Stay week. spooky. Thanks, Godzone. Thanks, Cody Shepherd. Thanks, chat. Yeah. Thank Thanks, you everyone chat. in the chat. Everyone who Most most of all you scarecrow. Yeah. Cool. And and if yeah, you're listening to this on a, on a, if you're listening to this on an MP3, thank you as well. Yeah. Uh, yes, everyone. All right. Thanks. Bye.